Hello and welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is still Dan, uh, despite a legal attempt to challenge it during the week. And with me, as always, is Sarah. And joining us this week in our next round of uh, unofficial, unsanctioned interviews is our dear friend, Clara Beard, um, who actually prefers to have her name pronounced in the American way, but I just, I can't do it. I'm so sorry. Clara, Clara, um, um, I apologize. Like I said, whatever floats your boat. It can be Clara there. <laughs> well, technically speaking, water floats my boat, but um, yes. Oh, that... God, so unfunny. Oh, fuck you. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> like early, so deal with it. So this week we're interviewing Clara because she's a former cyclist and she also works for the Tour Tracker and in the cycling media. So we kind of wanted to talk about how that, how it is being you know a woman in the other side of cycle, the other side of women's cycling and cycling, and also you know the differences between American and European cycling and all that kind of interesting thing. So welcome, Clara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm a little nervous, but. <laughs> You can manage. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be nervous. They'll let anybody on this podcast, including us. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Now I don't feel so special. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, should we just start by, if you want to give our dear listener a little bit of a rundown of, of you know, of your background, because you're a former, you're a former pro, aren't you? A former pro and a former national champion and a former British rider. Um, yeah, all of those above. I... <laughs> Even though I don't have an accent, I grew up in the UK, and that's where I started cycling. I did a lot of track racing, did a lot of um, I raced against Nicole Cook and all you know Rachel Heal, all those those wow. uh, awesome cyclists. Wow. Cool. Um, and so then I which, which part of the UK were you in? I lived outside of London, like West West London. Okay. See, my first question was: Did you beat Nicole and Rachel? <laughs> That's actually a funny story because um, no, I was in, <laughs> entirely intimidated by Nicole Cook, but uh, there was a race that I used to do called the Milton. It was at the Milton Keynes Bowl, mm -hmm. um, like handicap series, way back in maybe I don't know two thousand or whatever. And at that point, Rachel had just—I think, if my memory serves me right—she she was just starting to race, and I I was. You know, this miserable sort of January racing where it's wet and nasty and everything's freezing and your socks are wet. Anyway, <laughs> it, years later, I was racing in the States and she, I can't remember what team she was on, but she was racing the same crit race I was. And I thought, oh, I should walk up to Rachel and say, hi, do you remember me? We used to race together at the Milton Keynes Bowl. And um, she looked at me. I did that actually. And she looked at me and she said, "That was ages ago." And I said, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that was the story. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was your brush with fame. <laughs> no, I was like, "Come on, you know, let's, let's talk about this." And, and then I felt like maybe she didn't want to remember that time. So yeah, like, okay, yeah. go away. but. Um, Anyway, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, how long? I mean, where did you? If you were racing track, where we? Where did you do track in in those days? Was that in Hearn Hill or? 
Yes, um, I I raced track at Hearn Hill. We went up to Manchester a few times, and I did a lot of um, races over at Welland Welland Garden City. <laughs> the track there, and um, in riding. So I traveled around a bit. There's a track in riding. It's not. I mean, it's like a flat track basically. But um, yeah, I did a lot of that. What was and your What was your track I, event? I'm sorry. What was your track event? Um, I guess I I did I did individual pursuiting and I did I was pretty good at points races and what I was not good at was sprinting so uh, mostly endurance as far as you know track endurance goes. Yep. Mm-hmm. See, Dan doesn't actually know any. Dan's never watched track, so he doesn't know what you're talking about. So oh. you can just say anything. You need to slip in when you're talking about track, like made up races, just to see what Such... happens. Such a liar. They're not even good lies. I, I'd be more impressed if they were, you know. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> so you, so you, so you kind of grew up. You grew up racing. Um, wait, how old were you when you started? Um, I was about thirteen. My my parents took me to a race, a mountain bike race in Hoofleys when I guess it was ninety seven, and I just fell in love with the the, the neon. Actually. I, I just, <laughs> I was like way into the neon, and um, at that time, uh, Susan DiMattei and Julie Furtado were racing mountain bikes, and I I just thought that they were awesome, and I wanted to be like them, and um, that's how I started. And then I fell into I, I I went to a bike shop in Harrow, which is I guess outside of London, and then I started road racing because um, I fell into that kind of crowd from um early on oh no you, you fell in you fell in with the wrong crowd with the with the roadies oh shit with the roadies yeah um i went to buy some road shoes because you know you train for mountain biking by doing road and then one thing led to another and um you started just you'll get a drug right, yeah <laughs> it's a, a circuit in Hayes called hillingdon cycle circuit mm-hmm. i guess and, and they have a really good junior program and and it was just developing when I started and so they they were really um, nurturing as far as you know with young kids and Bradley Wiggins came at one time and showed us his Olympic medal I guess it was was probably 2000 or maybe earlier I can't but yeah it's good stuff Mm -hmm. exciting yeah Uh so, in in terms of your um, progression to to road, then uh, where did you start sort of competing? There, Were you riding a lot of British races to start with, or sure, yeah. Um, in in the UK, at least when I was racing, um, you fall into the crowd, and then you. I did the the national series. I did the national championships, which afterwards they kind of told me that I wasn't allowed to because it was a Texas Nice of them to wait till after, though. <laughs> I, I sign up, and I, I was only sixteen at the time. And one of the officials came up to my dad after the race and said, "Is she actually a British citizen?" And dad's like, "Dad's like." Oh. <laughs> um, uh, so, so they. 
Oh no. <laughs> so they took your podium results away and you had to give the medals cool. back and Yeah, and I had to issue a press release to Cycling News and you know yeah, and yeah. say I'm very huge scandal awesome awesome so presumably um i mean you're you're living in the uk um because you're one or both your parents are are working there and that sort of thing i guess but it sounds like you were based there for for quite a long time so um were you when when that came up did that sort of prod you to consider maybe you know going for the old british citizenship um, yeah, I, I lived there for 17 years, which you wouldn't know because I have absolutely no accent, which has like been sort of following me for my entire life. Whenever I say that, people are like, well, where's your accent? <laughs> I say, my parents are very patriotic. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I had to give it back when I left. It was uh, yeah. yeah, we don't the country, Daniel. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of our national treasures. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I would say, I went to English school as well, and so when I started saying mum, my parents would be like, no, no, Clara, it's mom. It's not mum, it's mom. <laughs> oh my um, god. <laughs> that's, that's patriotism taken to a whole new level. Wow. <laughs> no, seriously, my, see, my mum was always trying to get the Southeast London out of my accent, which is why I have this kind of... Slightly weird thing. If don't say hour, say R. Oh, there are three R's to go. Except <laughs> when I lived in Scotland, it was cute. So when I was a little five year old and I did Highland dancing and oh. I said, some tatties, that's cute, right? What you have for lunch? I had meeps and tatties, mummy. And with some big targets, right? right now, when you get older, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> so you. <laughs> no, no, I, I disagree. I think it's still funny. <laughs> <laughs> so you were so you were racing around neeps and tatties <laughs> Sarah do you know what neeps and tatties are neeps I think is turnips yes tatties is potatoes and <laughs> knowing the Scots they're cooked by deep frying yes because right. I thought maybe our dear listeners wouldn't know what I'm talking about and that sounds a little dirty you don't know what they are. <laughs> Which is pretty much exactly what we aim for. So. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is the whole raison d'etre of the podcast, isn't it? Let's make some innuendos and talk about cycling. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know you're really in a club once you start insulting Dan, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, you have that's, my permission. That's that's the definition of membership, is it? Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I regret being a founding member of this club then. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you, you were racing, and you, um, were you racing out in Europe and stuff like that? Um, yeah. Um, there, I went to Belgium a lot, and I went over to Holland to race, mm-hmm. and, um, it's, it's really easy when you live so close, you know, just, you just take the, the ferry over, and you're there. So I did. I did a lot of junior races in Holland, which were really cool. I mean, I think the Netherlands support their junior cyclists so well, mm-hmm. and it was one of the, I guess, best racing experiences I ever had was as a junior in Holland because you know it's like legit stuff. 
I did mm. the tour of Van Assen, I think it's called. I can't, I don't know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I did that, and I raced, I guess, the, the little promesses or yep. promesses. How do you actually say that? Uh, I go with commesses um, and make no apology for mangling someone else's language because I literally live on the other side of the world. So what are they going to do about it? Uh, I, I just don't use this when I say crits. I, <laughs> I wimp out. <laughs> Which is definitely huh? another option. That's <laughs> okay. so I did a lot of Belgian crits. And, uh, <laughs> I remember getting... I, I, I actually won something and someone handed me an envelope with 10 euro in it and I was like, yes! <laughs> I've made it! I got- Getting paid is awesome. Yes, yes. <laughs> then, then he sub- subtracted the 174 euro that it had cost to travel to the race and, you know, get lunch and bring your bike with you. And mm. Yeah, but, you know, you're 17 years old. You don't think about stuff like that. People are taking care of that for you at that time. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. It's true. If only we could continue through life as 17-year-olds when, you know, getting 10 euro felt like you were rich. Oh, my <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Did you um, so, did you use it to illegally buy Belgian beer? I have a feeling that I gave it back to my parents because I felt like oh. they should have the dividends of my oh. success. Oh, that's adorable. Isn't that I sweet? Know, well, that yeah. really is. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and is <laughs> <laughs> is plentiful. <laughs> So you you were racing all through your teenage all through your teenage years, and then um, and then and then what happened? What happened next, Clara? Oh, everyone's so excited to hear about my life. Um, <laughs> I got a, my parents told me that I should go to an American college because I think they were getting too worried that I was hmm. um, starting to say mum oh, too often. Yeah. We need to be re-Americanized. Might so. start dating British people. And, <gasps> oh, yeah. good God. Oh, no. Yeah. And, 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 you know, have grandkids with funny teeth. Oh. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't want that, mm. right? Mm. No. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, I was dating British people, and um, I got some scholarships to American colleges because at that time, I guess this is now... Where, what are we at? 2003? Mm-hmm. Um, American colleges were just starting to get cycling programs um, that were offering scholarships. And so I went to the States. I did junior nationals over there and started to look at some colleges. And I went to, I decided on Leeds McCray College, and which is in North Carolina, uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. And um, started racing collegiately, mm. and then got on the Cheerwine, which is a professional, which turned into a professional trade team. Uh-huh. And um, cool. And so, yeah. th- they were North Carolina based as well. Yes. Yeah, so you would you would be familiar with like probably the only, pretty much the only places that I've ever ridden in the US are. In North Carolina and Washington DC so yeah so I got my ass thoroughly handed to me by Mount Mitchell 
So oh, is, really? was was that oh, one of your one of your regular haunts or? Um, yeah, Lisa Prey is like about an hour and a half outside of Asheville. I uh-huh. think Mount Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So I was camping with a bunch of friends, and we were, yeah, probably a half an hour away from from Asheville. So, yeah, yeah, not too far from your old uh, your old area. Yeah. So when I went there, and I was like determined to be a trackie, I, I just wanted to just do track, and I didn't want to climb mountains. I hated heights. <laughs> <still. laughs> I'm and with I'm there. with you, sister. Like climbing is for weird people. <laughs> Well, shit, I got there, and after, you know, 30 minutes, I realized, oh, there's no flat areas around here. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, you'd already signed the scholarship papers, so you couldn't back out. I I was the first female on that team um, for a while, and first woman, and then, um, yeah, I had to figure out how to sort of climb, and I really missed the track. There was no track in North Carolina at the time. I think there's one now in Charlotte. I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, that was a, an adjustment for. <laughs> cool. Um, um, so, so I guess college was also a further transition away from the track for you. Then, um, you know, I mean, obviously, not having a track nearby would would impact on that. Yeah. But um, was was it around those years where you sort of made that move away from track as, as your main focus or? Yeah, I kind of had to, um, but there were, there were enough crit races, which, you know, uh, to me were good enough, you know, as far as what I enjoy doing, which is um, speed and and racing really fast for a short while of time. (laughs) (laughs) To put it technically, you know? Yeah. So, and the, the southeast area, which is where I raced when I was in college, which, you know, is sort of like North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, um, they have a really good crit um, presence. And so I was able to do a lot of races there. And then when I got into college, I started to get into cyclocross and found that I was also pretty decent at it. And, and that's when I... Um, started focusing more on cyclocross and so well it, it yeah. does it does seem to fit that that same sort of bill you know we were talking to to helen wyman last week and i i do always appreciate um her take on things where basically it, it, it's much simpler like you just go really fast for an hour <laughs> And and that's it so i guess well I, and all the technical skills but well yeah, yes it's yes. like kind of it is that kind of yeah, race really really hard for an hour, win, forty five minutes, mm, you know. Mm. Right, that's why cyclocross is perfect for me because I started with a mountain bike background mm. and did track in the UK, and so yeah, I, I it fit perfectly. And I wish I would have found it sooner, to mm. be honest. Uh, trying to like force my huge body around <laughs> stage races is just like not, not going to work for me. <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, it, it was it was good. Yeah, so, so you were uh, you were an under twenty three national champion at Cyclocross, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And you had and you were you know you were racing. So why did you stop? Um, well, good question, Sarah. Um, 
there was there's a lot of a lot of reasons I stopped and I stopped pretty early. I think I I quit and probably I think I was twenty four. And to be honest, the main reason was I felt like I was getting older. To me, that you know, when you're 24, you think that's you know, ancient, right? You know, and people mm-hmm. you're racing against are 18, and you're like, oh my god, I'm so old. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't. I was working my ass off um, to stay on Cheerwine because I knew that they wanted to go more towards stage racing. So I was um, working towards doing that. I had Amber Neven's coach, who was awesome. And he was trying to get me there. And I guess I, at one day, I thought to myself, am I going to continue to struggle training every day my parents are still supporting me I'm 24 years old I don't have a job I'm just racing I'm I'm training I'm riding full-time and what happens if I don't make it are my parents going to continue to support me for the rest of my life and so I thought well I can't I can't have that and so I I figured you know I I need I couldn't I had to get a job and so I thought you know I, I I really can't be living under my parents' thumb anymore. Hmm. 24. And so that's really, I think, what did it for me, having them paying for all my, my trips and for my races and all that stuff. I mean, I had my gear and I had my bikes paid for, but other than that, it's it's kind of a burden when mm. your parents are paying for you. It's one of those things I think that doesn't doesn't get talked about a lot either. But I think um, you know, there's there's uh, like you say, it's quite a burden. There's a lot of sort of psychological um, pressure and stress that comes with those sorts of dependencies, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I really don't want to get heavy <laughs> and because it's a funny podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're not equipped to cope with serious things. So. But we can rant. I mean, ranting is part of our raison d'être. So you know, if you want to move it into a rant, where you know that that's 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 more than <laughs> that, that fits us perfectly. So you know. Otherwise, otherwise, I guess we can try and dial Oprah in and see if she can guide you through the heavy section. So. All right, all right, I'll, I'll go for a rant if you want me to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, I, I was pissed off. I, I was angry, always angry because I, I worked so hard and I wasn't progressing and I was at a period where, um, it just felt like every, my performance depended on how, um, my season, I don't know, or on how my future panned out. And so if I wasn't performing, I wasn't going to have a future. It just, it seemed so desperate. I was mm. desperate all the time. I was so mm. anxious and worried. And it's, especially with women's cycling, maybe not now, but back when I was in 2006, I I felt like my position on the team, there's no job security. You're always worried. And I, um, I, I don't know. It, I guess you know. I'm, I I guess I can say I'm a quitter, and I regret that because 
I I just quit. I just gave up and I probably should have just like soldiered on and um, pushed through. I'm seeing a lot of the women that I used to race with succeeding, which is really rough for me because I thought, you know, I think to myself, I could have like stuck it out a few more years and maybe gone to the Olympics or at least the world championships. But, you know, it's women's cycling and it's, man, it's, it's, (laughs) it's like a dog fight. Well, and I think, I I, I think a lot of those sorts of things, you know, it's, it's human nature to second guess ourselves afterwards, but, um, but at the time, you've just got to make the best decision that you can um, based on, on what you have available to you at that point in time. But I, I think it, you know, to me, uh, with, with, you know, total respect to, to your perspective, I mean, this is your life and, and you've lived it. It doesn't sound to me, though, like a story about you quitting. It sounds to me like a, a story about systemic failure in the structure of women's cycling as, as, it, as it was at that time and as it continues to, to some extent to be, even, even with whatever improvements we've managed to achieve in the, in the intervening years. Yeah, you're right, Dan. Or should I call you Daniel? Uh, whichever you prefer. Whatever floats your boat, Clara. Clara. Oh, um, okay. But, yeah, I'll call you Dan. Um, yeah, it's, it's mostly because it's very self-motivating, um, it's, you know, you're not getting paid shit, first of all, and still it's so competitive and it's, you know, I look at, when I work for Tour Tracker, I, I look at, I'm dealing with men's teams all the time and I'm thinking to the, myself, well, you know, they're bitching about not getting paid enough. Oh my God, they're getting, you know. 20k a year that sucks oh sucks for you (laughs) but you know i i never got that and i was on a pro team and i was maybe i was just a domestic but at the same time if it's it's like a different sort of reality Mm. um you to be at least for me to be a professional cyclist you have to have some sort of outside sponsor and that may that be your parents or your husband or you know someone someone else. It's impossible to do it on your own, and, and I think at least, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be the case. I think that anyone should be able to be a professional cyclist without having people fork out money for you. Uh, the sponsors should be doing that for you, which is I think the you know, the well, uh, there. You know, and th- that's actually kind of one of my 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 sort of pet you know, ranty topics is, is that whole, you know, classification of professional. And because I think, I think one of the difficulties is that as you, as you described, um, when you're racing at that level, it places a set of expectations on you in terms of, um, commitment of time to training, but also, you know, mindset and, you know, will to win and all, you know, all those sorts of things that are expected of you as a professional athlete. And yet somehow, um, on, on the organization side of the sport, we continue to allow races and teams and, and whomever else to get away with not actually building a professional environment for you to be a professional in. And right. it, it seems to me like a major failing that, um, that you know, really needs to be addressed. Yeah, and 
the whole thing, the confusion on whether or not you're professional. Like when I mm. joined the team, it was a UCI team. All the other women on the team were like, I mean, I guess it was a constant debate. What is professional? You know what a pro is when you are looking at men's cycling. But as far as women's cycling goes, what does pro mean? Does that mean that you race full time? Does it mean that you get paid? Um, does it mean how much you get paid? It's, it's mm. one of those things. It's kind of vague. Maybe it's different now. I'm kind of like, I'm six years behind. <laughs> but at that time, um, I was really sort of... Well, I think organizationally, it's it's not really any different. I mean, at least in the categorization of teams, you know, there there are, you know, and, and we hear this from teams themselves, you know, that there are frustratingly um, ill-defined uh, layers in, in determining who, who runs a professional level team and who doesn't and what those requirements are. And, you know, is it a wage or is it a living wage or is it a, a comparable wage to uh, professional sports? All of these are, are things that, you know, <laughs> the thing that frustrates me most about it. Then, see, this is this is where we get into rantiness. Um, is is that the the stupid thing is that it doesn't cost anybody anything to actually just write the guidelines for, for what these definitions are. Like you, you can just define it, and and no one has to spend any more money. It just it just helps us know where we are. <laughs> But I think it's the thing about the UCI, though, isn't it? Because we've, we've talked about this with, you know, when we were talking with Steph, you know, Steph Wyman about his, you know, about whether he's, his team is a UCI registered team. Because basically you just give them 20 grand mm, mm. and that makes you a UCI registered team. So there's teams out there where women aren't even getting their gear bought for them. You know what I mean? And, you know, some tiny, 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 tiny shit small team that has got the, got the money together to get UCI ranking is technically the same as Orica or, you know, Specialized Lululemon or, or Rabobank. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that kind of, that kind of it, it, when I first got into cycling and women's cycling and I was starting to do research on this and, you know, looking on CQ ranking and stuff, it was really hard to know what team was what, you know. It's really impressive that, you know, Anna van der Breggen racing for Sangers for the last two years, doing really, really well. They're a tiny team. They just, you know, this year they're bigger, but, you know, last year they just didn't count, you know. You wouldn't expect to see a rider of her calibre come out of it, um, you know, even though she'd been very good as a, ju- you know, very good as a junior. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, must be very, it must be very hard. And, and actually what I'm really impressed by you is that, you know, you, you haven't that kind of stuff. The temptation to just walk away and never come back must have been quite strong but you know here you are working in cycling you know you're part of yeah you're, you're part of you're part of cycling now how did how did you come back you know once you walked away why did you come back um well i guess because i you know you, gr- you grow up in something and you can't really let it go i i did not um look at anything cycling related for maybe i don't know four years because mm-hmm. uh, I I just felt like maybe I could move on from it and have a normal life because that's the other thing about cycling you become so absorbed in it that that's your entire life and you don't really know anything else and I'm like no I'm leaving this I'm gonna like have a full life be more well-rounded person that kind of thing I'm gonna um, talk to other people <laughs> <laughs> that don't know anything about cycling and and I did that for a while, and, and 
I, I don't know, it, it, it draws you back. And I really felt compelled I don't know, I, to try to help further women cycling. I mean, I don't, that that's a big statement, but because, um, you know, what can you really do? But I guess I can try and do what I can. And that's why I joined, I mean, came back, joined, came back. <laughs> That's why I joined. Uh, <laughs> that's why I came back because you know I, I I felt like there was some sort of unfinished business with me. If I can't um, race again, I really want to help those women who are racing mm-hmm. have better experience than I did. At least get some sort of um, yeah, just have a better experience. That's all. Mm. So you're currently you're 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 a journalist. You're a trained journalist, aren't you? And you um, you write, mm. and you're doing the tour tracker. You are the voice. Well, you're the you're you're part of the you're one of the people who help us follow races. I mean, what what can you tell us a bit about your role and what you do and what happens? Sarah, pardon? <laughs> do you follow men's racing? Well, you know, sometimes sometimes <laughs> I have. Every now and then, um, they don't have a women's race happening, and so um, by default, Sarah ends up accidentally hearing about um, a men's race, and then maybe once every now and then in an exceptional year, like twice a year, there'll be a men's race that's actually really exciting, and it'll confuse Sarah, and she'll think <laughs> it's a women's race. So, yeah, yeah, no, I watched I watch Rubai. Yeah. I definitely watched Harry Rubai. And you know, I'll watch things like um, Flesh Will On, Dan, ah. <laughs> in the hope that I'll see the women on the coverage. <laughs> no, I like men. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure men can race bikes too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was lucky enough to get um, hooked up with Tour Tracker. They they cover. I guess the big races in the states. I what I do for them is I listen to race radio, which is out on the course, mm-hmm. and um, either I'm doing race commentary, which means I have to hear what's happening and I type it in, and it, people text commentary. So if people can't watch the race, they can see it on their computers on on text, <laughs> and. Um, God, I suck at explaining this. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> I'm well, sorry. It's, it's kind of like a, a live stream, like auto refreshing ticker kind of update, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Because I love because I love it because you've got that big screen in the middle with the video, haven't you? And then you've got all the kind of cunning little maps and things and thingies and you know the little t- taggy things. And the first time I ever watched a race in miles, it confused me greatly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Tour of Missouri or something on Tour Tracker, and I was like, oh my god, what's going on? Because it all looked really wrong, and then I found the kilometres, and it all felt better again. <laughs> and even though I'm British, so we work in miles, but you know. And and then you have the live text, and then you have the chats, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so um, either I do live commentary, or I do the the data entry, which is also listening to race radio and um, updating the like I don't know where where they are in the course and the distance between riders if there's if the riders are on a break or. Um, Who's in the break? That kind of thing. Right. right. So more of the technical data. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, do you provide also? Do you also? Do you also do research for the commentators and get and tell them stuff, or is that completely separate? Well, what they're doing, they're commentating, but they're also looking at Tour Tracker. Mm. And if I'm, if we're doing the live commentary, they're reading it, and yeah, they do use our info for their broadcast sometimes. Yeah. If they're running out of things to say, <laughs> how um so basically it's it's you and and one other person operating all of this at any given time, um like one of you doing the the sort of technical stuff and and the other one handling the the live uh, ticker kind of updates, yeah. Right, yeah, and uh, depending on the race, we do Twitter too. Okay, um, we did so we did that for tour of California. And sometimes we don't, but I did Alberta basically on my own, uh-huh. tour of Alberta. And so I was listening to race radio and putting in race information on onto the server and doing live commentary at the same time. Cool. So, And, and do you find it fun to sort of, like, I imagine that must be one of the, the sort of uh, kind of... I would I would find it interesting and and possibly fun to to take that sort of raw race radio update and try and build a bit of a narrative around it and sort of tell the story of what's going on kind of thing. Like, do you how much do you make up is really what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, Stan, it's super stressful because <laughs> the majority of the time um, I'm listening to race radio and they're in they're in a calm car following the race and the the radios don't work that well so a lot of the time i can't hear what they're saying and i (laughs) and if the race radio goes out i have to stress out for a while and then make stuff up (laughs) sometimes maybe 50 miles um dawn in the race, maybe in the, in the beginning of the race when they're going through the mountains, that's when the signal starts to go out, starts to go out and um, that's when things start to really get stressful in the production truck huh. when the, the feed goes yeah, it's, yeah. so No, I can yeah. imagine that that would be um, yeah particularly stressful oh goodness uh-huh. me yeah. especially when you're looking at the tweet deck at the same time and people are like Where's the feed? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, at least tell us what's going on. I, I think that's actually one of the interesting things about the internet sort of age as well, isn't it? That it, just because I suffer an information dropout, like I lose the feed or something, it doesn't mean that I assume something's happened with the source. I assume something's happened with my feed. Someone knows something somewhere. Tell me what's going on. Oh, but but man, I've I've been in, I've been in the race cars because um, you know um lovely lovely Stefan Wyman took me to Turingen Rundfahrt and um lovely lovely Carl Lima took me to um Flesh on and just hearing it and they the best thing is when they go blah 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 four people in a break and you're like who the fuck's that oh my god <laughs> or when we were at Turingen and Helen was out solo by herself and like no one knew because they hadn't said it on the radio and then they go oh yes Helen Lyman's been out solo for 20 minutes and Stefan's like fuck I'm gonna have to get her some water <laughs> kind of like yeah. zooming out to you zooming out at her but it's like it's kind of like you're kind of pretty much driving around blind in in, in some of those situations you're like who's <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Cars pulling alongside each other going, is your radio broken? And they're just not saying anything. Yeah. 
that's that's what it's like. And then people don't really understand why they're not getting information, and mm. it's just all to do with um, radio frequencies, yeah. which is has nothing to do with how much or how not much we like the race itself because we get a lot of like hate mail from you why are you not covering the race you don't like it you know that kind of thing <laughs> like no we're just, we just can't we can't cover it because we don't have a, yeah, we, any information we can't tell you so, what we yeah. don't know so so yeah. it, i mean is, was it and is it different because obviously this year tour tracker did the women's tour of california Invitational time trial thingy. Also, and, also uh, known as Sarah's favorite race of the year. You know, like how Dan rants about Flash Wallon. My, <laughs> my, 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 my kind of, my kind of, um, I don't know. I have a kind of tick where you know, you say tour of California, and I'm just like, Argh. I can't help myself. But you also did Nash- American Nationals, which was just such an amazing race. Like, oh my god, just. Oh my God! So exciting! So many beautiful moments. Is it is it different for you when you're working on women's races to men's? Um. Well, what do you mean? As far as like, what do you mean? I mean, is it like? Does it does it feel does it feel different? Like, yeah. Because I guess yeah. when, when you're doing a men's race, say you're doing the men's tour of California or something, it's you know it's one media source out of lots of media sources, and you know you have to you know hopefully you're, you know you're doing a good job, so people are choosing your media source. But when it's the women, it's like this big exciting thing that it's being streamed live, and you know the best seriously the best the the nationals was just fantastic. Yeah, just, it's exciting for me because I. I, you know, I have a vested interest in, in wanting to promote women's cycling. So mm. when we're able to do it for, for Tour Tracker, I get, I really want it to, I really want it to be its best, you know, at its best. And, mm. and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great is, is if we can do it, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> the best answer, I don't know. <laughs> oh, podcasting's so hard. <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, you know, you are one of our you are one of our two listeners, so you know, it's it's all good. It's all you're doing. You're doing brilliantly. <laughs> well, and, unless you don't listen this week, and our listenership goes down by half, in which case, I'm blaming you. <laughs> way I'm gonna to listen to myself <laughs> well I mean Sarah Sarah loves the <laughs> it's, it's right like she's totally right the uh the, the same way that I will be reduced to muttering fuck you flesh for one um on an almost weekly basis Sarah will will similarly be reduced to ranting and raving when we start talking about the the tour of California Invitational she's got a huge number of reasons and and actually to be fair some of them even make sense um as to, <laughs> as to why she feels that way but um one of the things that was kind of uh, I, I think particularly frustrating um this year and hopefully you can help us understand a little bit more about the mechanics of what happened, was when the um, the coverage of the, the women's time trial basically just got cut off. Do you know, do you know any more about the, the inside story? Do you know who the person responsible for that choice is? Is there someone that we can send an angry letter to? Or, you know, hurt? Mutter about. Mutter about and kind of curse. 
Okay, so, uh, yeah, um, tour of California back in May. I was with that race, and I was working for Tour Tracker, and so excited about the women's time trial, um, which, you know, and they, they did an invitational time trial, which I, I kind of found interesting, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed a little random, but it was good that they had yeah. I, just, I just don't even I just my, my basic problem with it is so they invite about 15 riders and they have to be all from North America it mm-hmm. seems and they start inviting like triathletes and um, um, I don't know trackies and uh, mountain bike riders and stuff and, and, it's, <laughs> and it's and it's fine it's she, just, says, it's she just, says to Clara who's the mountain biking no trackie. no 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 but, but that's but that's cool. I mean I think I it's just the whole point of you know the tour of California sells itself as the fourth grand tour yeah and it's the only it's this big huge enormous race with a big huge enormous amount of money and yeah I just think that they they used to do a race and now they do an invitational and you know oh it makes me want to cry Sarah, what, what would you like to see? I just, I, I guess, I guess I'd just like to see a race, you know, like, like have it as a, you know, just have it as, I mean, ideally it'd be a UCI standard, you know, a UCI ranked race, but even if it's not a UCI race, just like a national ranked race, you know, just, just a, a race, like even, even if it's a time trial, just not like, you know, just not like, it just feels unfair when you know, because North American racing is so, so good. And there are all these fantastic, amazing races all over the place that, you know, races like Sea Otter and, you know, Redlands Classic and all of these races that put men's and women's races next to each other. You know, they're, they're just so good. So love, love, love the American scene. And then this one time you get international attention, <laughs> the organizers just go, ah, whatever. <laughs> and it, Sarah, like, um, or in both of you, what is your opinion about piggybacking off of men's races as far as getting women more coverage? Like, how do you feel about that? Ooh, ooh. I mean, I, I like, I like a mix. You know, I like, I like, I really, really love. I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks that that every men's race should have a women's. You know, no. I mean, I do think every men men's race should have a women's race. But I really love the, some of the standalone races, like you know, Trofeo Alfredo Binder or Ronda Van Drenthe or Open Disfred for Gorda are just such amazing races. But I think that when you say something like Flesh Wallon or Ronda Van Blanderen, people know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me, I, it's just it's just such a shame when you've got this. It's not like I'd want to see oh, well, you know, every stage, every day, same course, but just one day race. Just when when people are tuning in to see it, just have some women, please. You know, it's, it's, a, kind of, it's a kind of strange thing, and, and, and the invitational time trial thing feels very, it feels less, you know? Like, yeah. like, you know, like we didn't have a tour of Britain, so next year's tour of Britain, you know, next year we'll have the women's tour, hurrah a women's tour of britain and it's the same sort of thing where you think it's just such a wasted opportunity and women are so much more interesting <laughs> you know it kind of feels win-win to be able to you know organizers can kind of say oh yeah 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 we know about lance armstrong and men's doping but look over here these right. have interesting stories <laughs> but do you think both of you I'm, I'm asking both of you do you think that women's cycling can improve through piggybacking off of men's racing and 
um, having the same sort of, or, or like being like, um, I don't know, an HTC high road or having a men's team and a women's team that are sponsored by the same person. Do you think that's the way to go or do you think they should be separate? separate Well, I think, I think structurally, um, in terms of team management, that's, um, probably a, a slightly different thing than, than races themselves. Um, for me, I, I tend to agree with Sarah in that I think there are some landmark races where it would just be, I think, fantastic to to ensure that there was a women's edition, you know, and, and races like she suggests, you know, like you, you immediately think of like the one-day monuments or... Um, I mean, I, I get that there's a whole range of logistic um, questions and stuff around the idea that that La Tour NTA have have floated of a women's tour de France uh, running concurrently with the men. Um, but but you know, I think it is you know the, these premier events that that capture the attention of everyone outside of the the hardcore cycling fans. Um, it makes a lot of sense to, to include events that, that showcase the women just as well. But at the same time, like Sarah says, there's, there's a rich history and plenty of great races um, as, as it is, you know, like I, I, and I, I would like to see those built up and, and for it to be a standalone sort of thing. On the team side of things, I think, you know, there is a lot of benefit to be had from um, shared infrastructure and support systems and that sort of thing from from organizations who are able to sponsor um men's and women's teams alongside each other but i actually think it's probably more important in the in the short term anyway to uh do work like we were talking earlier um on uh (coughs) defining the tiers of, of women's team structures and actually setting standards in place for, for what the expectation is to run a, a top-flight professional team as, as opposed to one of the, the teams that Sarah was mentioning that, you know, can scrape together €20,000 to buy the UCI registration. I don't know. I, see, I, I think my, my, the reason I like men's and women's teams together is I think it gives people... It gives people a window in. You know, you're a cycling fan. And the number of people who've said to me, oh, you know, my, my kids really like cycling. And my, my daughter is asking me, can women race? Do women race? And I feel really bad because I don't know the answer. Who should I tell them about? And I think having a great team like Orica, if you're a, an Orica fan and you go on their website, you might click on to, you know, you might be looking around and see that they're doing, the men are doing really badly at the moment. But but, but you know, who's this person, Emma Johansson? Who's this person, Tiffany Cromwell? You know, and I, I just like gateway drugs. Gateway drugs in. But as the former rider, what do you think? I don't know. It's an interesting question because I was interviewing um, uh, one of the Trot sisters. Oh, my God. Not – it's Emma. Emma Trot. Yeah. And she, she didn't like the fact that – some women team, women's teams piggyback off of the men's teams because she said it was interesting because she said one of the the bad things about it is that once the men team once the men's team folds then the women's team will fold too so mm-hmm. if you have a standalone team then there's no uh, I guess that's not going to happen but I don't know 
It's a, it's an ongoing argument, I think, because mm. I know that, at least in the States, with um, the Women's Cycling Association that just started up this year, mm. they, they feel that um, the way that women can get more exposure is by um, doing that sort of thing, like by making women's races happen alongside men's races and that that will give them more coverage and more exposure so yeah, yeah I, I, I look I, I think it's one of those things that there are there are you know arguments from from both ends and the truth is yeah. that until we actually experiment with them and and try them out I don't know that we're ever really going to know for sure you know because because I also have this kind of instinctive thing that um, you know, I I just feel like we're in a really positive place in terms of women cycling. In that, um, at the grassroots level, it just seems to me that there are more people and organisations and websites and and stuff that are paying attention to to women and women's cycling. Um, that that. Maybe it's going to be one of those things where it's driven more by that that groundswell of of grassroots level support. But you know, in in the meantime, absolutely, I think disadvantages. But it's a great point from from Emma. You know, I mean, this is another one of Sarah's pet things. Just mention mention Cervelo Test Team and then Garmin in the same sentence to her, oh. and she dies a little bit inside. I so. do, but but on the other hand, you do have places like Rabobank and specialised Lululemon, where, you know, Rabobank, the men, the women's team joined, you know, joined on later, because, you know, used to be Netherland Bluett, and there's no men's Rabobank, but there's, you know, but, but they still sponsor the women because of Voss. And, you know, HTC disappeared, but, 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 you know, but specialised Lululemon lives on. Mm. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I think, I think that's, and that's an interesting thing, I think, with the media, when, when we get the opportunity to see them race, you know, the every year there'll be someone saying, "Yeah, um, the men's road ra- men's world's road race was was really boring, but the women, oh my god, I've never seen women cycling before. That was just the craziest thing." And and I love that. It's really, I think that's the thing about when you get if you can have enough because I you know I came into cycling through watching track, and you watch the men and women alongside each other, and you know the fans don't at Manchester at least don't care. If they're a man or you know they care if it's a Brit or not, but they don't care whether it's a man or a woman. They just love it, and and that's you know the mount, you know mountain biking and stuff like that. You kind of have that men and women racing alongside each other as you know on the same you know on the same day as a matter of course, and that's you know that's a good thing. And it must be easier for parents to take their kids to ride too if you've got a boy and a girl. I guess, yeah. I, I, so I, I, not being a parent, I, not being a parent, can't comment directly on that. But sounds sounds legit to me. Let's let's go with that. Hey, I've got I've got a bit of a crazy idea, um, Sarah. So just roll with me on on this one. Um, But uh, Clara, thank you very much for for making some time available and coming to talk to us about uh, about your life and history and and many and varied accomplishments and stuff. Uh, it just occurred to me, though, that, like, it, it seems like it would be kind of crazy to not get, uh, to, to get a, a pro journalist onto our podcast and not give you the chance to interview us. Oh, 
Do you um, do you have any any more questions? Just because like the last couple of questions that you've thrown at us, were, they've been pretty solid questions. I I like so. You know, do you want to take a couple of minutes now and grill Sarah and I? I I do. Well, thanks for asking me. Um, I wanted to talk about 2014 a little and ask both of you what you thought might you know like your your predictions next year because 2013 was a pretty good year as far as women's cycling goes as you know for a lot of things happened good and bad so where do you see the next year happening what do you see happening in the next year god i'm just like (laughs) (laughs) i think i mean i think it's really interesting because i've got that what i think is going to be fun is the is is i want to see what happens to specialized lululemon you know like Mm -hmm. like without ina poor ina without ina and and with ellen moving on they just it just feels like there's more of a well, I mean, that's, I love, that's the I love, thing, love, isn't love, it? There's, there's some amazingly interesting transfers that are going on. Um, yeah, yeah. And transfers can make or break riders, can't they? It's like well, and, it's like, and you teams. Know. You know, it, it's going to be really interesting. Sorry. Anyway, you but, should. But yeah. much, I mean, much as I really, really loved. You know, when I first that the kind of getting into women cycling on the road and you know, kind of coming into it when it was specialized. You know, Cervelo versus HTC with Mariana Voss, you know, kind of just on, on the way up. Not that she's ever stopped going up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it, felt, it felt like, well, and, you know, Nicole Cook, uh, it, it felt like there was too much. I loved it. It was very, very exciting. But when you've got a team that has Kirsten Field and Emma Pooley and Claudia Hauschler and, you know, and, and all these amazing stars, it feels... Um, it feels overloaded, and it just—it just feels like everything's dissipating a bit more, and 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 it's going to be more, more, I guess, more, more, less, less, less expected next year. Yeah, you know, I, I can't wait to see what Ellen does mm. because mm. she's she's ridden for 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 HTC for what four or five years, maybe more, and then you've got like. You know what what Wiggle does in their second year, who you know because they haven't yet announced their full roster yet. But mm. you know, and Tiff Cromwell going to specialise. I know. Bon Zolman's yeah. changing, and 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 Lotto's complete. You know, Lotto is basically just re. You know, most of their riders have gone, and they're going to be going in different places. You know, what will Ash Woolman do at High Tech? What will? Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> I'm really, really excited about 2014, and you know we've got like this new race, the the women's tour happening in Britain, and you know it's going to be on TV, and mm. and it just feels like, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's it, I don't know, like the way I think of it is, it kind of feels like you know if you look at a season of of cycling. The analogy I use in my head is kind of like a, it's like a really complex board game where there's all this assortment of pieces and they're grouped together into teams and then you play the game. Uh, but the thing is, every season you reset and some of the pieces get moved around and, and that's what's happening with the transfers. But, but it's like all these like power players. <laughs> And and things are going really interesting places, you know. So so yeah, Ellen Ellen um, moving on, but then Tiff going to specialised, and and what does that mean uh, for her role coming in? But also, um, how does that work for Orica? You know, with, with who who steps up to take her position 
there and and stuff like that. I think there's just so much to to look forward to, and I think um, High Tech's one of those teams too that in particular just stands out to me. They've, I mean, Carl's a great guy anyway, but they they do such a good job of of picking um, riders on that sort of ascendant curve, and I really think it's going to be a good year for Ash. I do. Um, and I think it's going to be a good fit for her. Mm. And, and it's, I mean, I was really, really scared about 2013 because 2009 was so awful, you know, the post-Olympic year where it was, you just lost team after team and and race after race. And and I think with things like, and I think that things are getting more, 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 more real as well. I mean, for a long time, the UCI has been, well, you know, shit. And this year, with things like Toscana happening and the change at the UCI and, you know, Brian Cookson having gone on about women's cycling throughout his, you know, throughout his campaign, I I think there's, I, I wonder what changes are going to happen. You know, Voss is so powerful and she's got such a great media presence and, you know, the, the Italians kind of basically putting their foot down at Toscana. I, yeah, I, I think it's, well, also, you know, the, the early indications, too, from the UCI that, you know, after the change, addressing the um, the age rules and, um, you know, and Tracy Gordry's involvement in the the senior level now and, and those sorts of things, there are positive indications there. I, I hold cautious hope that we may be pleasantly surprised by the UCI in 2014 as opposed to the usual UCI surprise. So... <laughs> right. Well, that was my next question. How do you feel about Brian Cookson and you think that things are actually going to move forward or, you know, it seems uh, pretty positive. I think, I think new boss, same as the old boss, pretty much. Um, yeah. but I, I look forward to being proven wrong. I think, you know, obviously it's too early to, to tell for sure. Um, but all, all, I, I guess my, I guess my overarching thing is more that if the UCI were as, broken as it appeared to be under Pat McQuaid, that can't fairly be put at the feet of one person. That's that's an entrenched systemic problem and a bureaucratic problem as well. So if 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 that were the case, then you know, by all means changing to Brian Cookson as the the president is is possibly a positive step. But it means that there's still a huge amount of work ahead of him in order to restructure and and reorganise the the way that the the whole organisation operates. Right. What do you What do you think, Sarah? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I kind of I kind of don't want to get my I I I kind of find Cookson's stuff in the campaign slightly problematic because I'm quite into plans and you know don't just say you're going to help it say what you're going to do but I a think it couldn't be much worse and b some of the things he was saying about you know one third of one person's job is dedicated to developing women women's road cycling and that's ridiculous you know I think it's going to be it's it's quite an interesting thing and to to kind of see and well, that, yeah, that's, I, that's, I don't think I think it could be not worse. I don't think it can be worse. Basically, that's my mm. that's my happy, 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 which, positive. Which to anyone chirpy. from the UCI listening, that's not a challenge. Sarah is not challenging <laughs> you to prove her wrong. Um, but, but no, no, I think I think that's a good point though. Is you know we've, we we're kind of suffering from that that kind of poverty struck thing too, where there's been 
so little done um, that anything is going to look better by comparison, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know I do like having you know I do like having Tracy Gordry up there. I like I mean the work that Mariana Voss. I don't know that much about it, but then you kind of keep hearing about it that she's working really hard behind the scenes, and and that's that's you know that's that's really having a patron like Voss, and you know right who's who really really loves the sport. She's in it because she loves it with all her heart and soul, and oh my god, cycling, cycling is the best thing in the world, and 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 I like I like that. You know, she's, but she's also not, she's also a tough cookie. She's not going to, she comes from, you know, coming up through cyclocross where, you know, people like Hanka Kupfenagel fought to get a cycling cross world championships and fought to get world cups and fought to get paid. You know, that, that must be when she was growing up, that's what her heroines were doing. Mm. So it's, you know, it kind of feels like that's, she, she, she's she's such a gentle, kind person, but she doesn't take shit. And yeah. What do you think? Are you are you looking forward to fourteen? Well, I think I I think a lot of a lot happened this year as far as I don't know, like a movement or if you want to call it a revolution. I don't know. Yeah. But um, you know, with the Toscana happening and at least in the states, the WCA. Yeah. Yeah. And um, with the documentary that you know Catherine Bertino is doing, and the petition with the every, you know a lot happened this year. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if if that can carry forward into 2014. I hope so because mm. I I kept seeing a, a lot of women like standing up and you know rallying for women cycling to be more than than what it was, and it's about time I think. I think in Britain, because, you know, the Olympics you know, in London, it was such a big thing. And like Laura Trotz and Danny King, riders like that really caught people's imagination. You know, a real kind of national debate about who do we want role models to be for young girls, you know. And, and you know, you have someone like Laura Trotz saying, you know, talking about her sister Emma's experiences as a roadie and kind of not pulling punches either. And it, it, it kind of makes it's it feels like. And then when you see things like the road race, you know, the, the Worlds and the Olympics, where the racing is just so much fun, you know, and, and I'd argue much more suited to television than the men than the men's is because it's, you know, so much shorter. It, you, you kind of think, yeah, this is it's, it's a good sport. And, and if I were the UCI and, and you know, cycling royals, you know, cycling media and stuff, I'd be pushing the women's stuff because, you know, in the States, a, a woman like... Evelyn Stevens is a lot easier to get behind than, say, Chris Horner or. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and in, in your last podcast, you were talking about, or you're wrapping up the season and talking about the men's world road race and how long it was and, and how boring it was. And I think that's a flaw with men's cycling because. They make those races so long. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, not, it's it's know, a the- false romanticizing of um, of the distance um, as an allegory for how hard the race is, um, and and you know because uh, we've all spent those those long days in the saddle, you know, and you 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 ride your hundred and whatever k's, and you're like, oh man, that took ages and was hard, and I feel sore now. Give me beer, and. Um, <laughs> 
And and so the, the idea is, oh, well, we'll make the race 300 k's long, and everyone will be like, wow, that's a tough race. No, that's like you know 200 guys riding slow for four hours and then racing for 100 k's. It's it's just stupid. So yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And, and and not to get into the whole doping thing, but I to me that's why um, I think that people felt like it was necessary to start yeah, because. Yeah, yeah. So long, so brutal, and ridiculous. You yeah. know, just shorten the race, and then we don't have to deal with all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, the whole—I mean, this year's men's road rate worlds was just—it was just like an invitation to dope. Like, how yeah. do you get? And then all the shit people were giving riders for getting off. You know, like, well, fuck! I just wouldn't have got on in the first place. You know, <laughs> <laughs> especially. As, yeah, I mean, it was it was just horrible, and and you're not going to race down those incredibly steep those hills. That hill was a nightmare. Like looking at it, it was just super hard, and in the rain, you know what the what, what yeah, brand new you know brand new tarmac, which is brilliant in the dry, but you know, kind of let's just turn it into an ice rink, and and then wonder why, <laughs> you know, and then that's kind of there's a thing where pe- where people are simultaneously wanting that kind of mayhem but also wanting them to ride clean and you think and i personally think that you can't have both you know it's it's idealistic and 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 basically it's for i i kind of have a bit of an issue with watching people suffer for our entertainment Mm -hmm. so you know it's one thing to watch voss suffer her way up the hill for you know every lap or whatever and and put herself put those efforts in but for a short period of time but you know nine hours or whatever it was how long was it it felt like 12 it felt like i was watching that race all day Seven and a half hours or something. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, and the commentators as well. You know, you're like you're sitting there going, I, I just so endless, endless respect to them. But you know, they're, they're kind of oh look, they're still going around together in a bunch. Well, actually, actually, they just put a tape on repeat for the for the middle three hours. Like nobody noticed, <laughs> but that's all they did. It's yeah. yeah. How I mean, how do you do? Is, is it hard when you're part of the the the, the, the storytelling about the race to? I mean, it, is it difficult to kind of make it interesting sometimes? Or Sarah, I mean, Worlds is an exception. That's probably it's a, yeah, it's one of the classic races, um, sort of you know that that length, which yeah. is ridiculous. Where where they're coming in um, almost dead seven and a half hours later, and we're all like, yeah, that's a real man, you know, good for him. Which I I think it's kind of sad the fact yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does, does does that mean that? I don't know. I think I think it's flawed and in, in that respect, and I um, it de- doesn't get you fans, as cycling like new cycling fans watching the sport for seven hours on TV. It's it's not interesting. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, that's that's never going to be the race that you choose to show a friend to get them into cycling. Like it's just not and. And so, at some fundamental level, somebody's got to question why we're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. and when you're on Twitter during the Tour de France, on um, one of those boring stages, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I turned into the last 10k," then so why are you making them race for 200k? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is this is. I mean, this is again one of the things that I think why. I mean, Qatar this year. Did you see it at Qatar when they showed Qatar live and they showed the last 20 minutes or half an hour of each stage? And it was just brutal. It was just 
beautiful, beautiful racing. You know, I was just rewatching it last a couple of weeks ago, and you know, every six Orica riders, Kirsten Veals chasing every one of those six Orica riders down about two hundred times as they kept attacking. You know that you could show someone that, and they'd be instantly, you know, it, 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 it's kind of you can understand, you can get it. But you know, I remember before when I was when people kept trying to make me watch the Tour de France, and I'd watch it for fifteen minutes and go nothing is happening that's <laughs> <laughs> what you do Clara <laughs> but, but that's the thing is that these things over time sort of form their own sort of scripting and the men's races based on the, the distances that they tend to get given you know they, they do get those, those races and stages where the script is we let an inoffensive group of guys go up the road that we know we can reel back and then we all ride tempo for four hours then we race and it's like, yeah. well, like, seriously, guys, you know, everyone who was going to watch that around the world can actually just go on their group ride and come back and watch the last bit, which is the actual race. So, you know, why do that? Why? It's a bit formulaic. My question to you two, since you're allowing me to be the journalist. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that men's races should be shorter or women's races should be longer? I think both. Um, I think I think an arbitrary restriction on women's race length um, is, you know, offensive to everybody. But that said, I I don't I I think I think it's also one of those things that like if you if you wrote a rule that said no race can, or stage can be longer than two hundred kilometers. There'd be races where you want the exception, you know, like Paris Roubaix. You you want the exception, um, Milan San Remo. You want the exception. Oh so, really? Well, I'm not saying I personally do. What I'm saying is that there would be enough people in the world of of the sport that they would want that, um, because history and tradition is so sacrosanct oh. in in cycling. That my point is, I don't think you can actually, you know, just simply make a rule no stage is more than 200 k's or, or whatever i mean obviously you can but i don't i don't know that it'll be that effective if if people will keep making exceptions for it i think it's one of those things that um cycling as a whole needs to get smarter about what it is that it's actually trying to sell which is an entertainment product um and and tailor a product better towards entertainment Mm. I see. I'd have. I, I think. I think. I'd, I'd like to have. It's almost like let the course di dictate the length in a, in, a, in a weird sort of way. Like there are some races where I because I, I know that you know some of the riders don't. You know, some of the riders want longer races, like Emma Pooley, for example. But I, I kind of. I don't want to see. I, if we were kind of the there is a kind of thing about saying yeah have 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 the option for to have longer stages for women and definitely longer races for women but yeah but cut men's races in half you know most tour stages are just i mean uh, men's flesh will on the women's the women's flesh will on is such a more interesting race because it just cuts out that long section at the beginning <laughs> you know don't just you know when they're riding along motorways just to kind of well, I, I, yeah. Well, I actually, I think that's a good point. Um, what I was sort of getting at when I say gear it towards an entertainment product was actually thinking of the broadcast package. Mm. Um, 
So when you look at like a, a European football match, um, you know, with pre-game, halftime, and a bit of a post-game wrap-up, and and you're, you're roughly probably looking at three hours of broadcast time, maximum. Um, you know, uh, NFL in the US, which is probably a, a, not a bad comparison, coverage is usually around four hours, maybe maybe a little over per game. Um, I think I think if if we started to look more towards creating a broadcast package that covered that kind of spectrum um, of, of time, that block of time, we would find that, that races and stages would start to naturally, as Sarah says, based on the course and that sort of thing, fit in better in terms of length um, if we looked at it more as time than distance. Yeah. Three hours of quality yeah. viewing, I think, is the way to go, regardless of how, you know, on one stage that's 200Ks, on another stage that's 130 um, because you're doing a lot more climbing or whatever, but still, it, it gives you the best opportunity. And, and ultimately what you're saying then as a as a event organiser and entertainment provider is here's three hours of solid entertainment that we think you're going to really enjoy. Right. Yeah. And to answer the question that you asked earlier, it's it is hard to fill in the, you know the. Mm, the, the four MTF. hours, four hours of tempo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have to research a lot about the towns and, <laughs> and the attractions and, and that kind of thing. So, so what yeah. you're saying is that if we want to have fun with Tour Tracker in 2014. Uh, we should start hacking the Wikipedia pages of towns that, that, that races go through, like the night before. What are you saying, Daniel? That I don't already do that? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, you know, if if I if I went and so we're going through Salem, California, and it turns out this is where Sabrina the Witch came from. Um, <laughs> because some enterprising individual had um had had you know. Uh, edited the uh, the Wikipedia page the night before. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be. We should, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be ways to do this. I think you know, it's also interesting seeing what you can say on Twitter that gets you know that gets picked up. You know, oh yeah, that's pretty interesting because when I was there with the alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> passing through the cornfields of Utah and, wait, are, you know it's that kind of thing it's gonna, yeah interested and that it's tough it, it, cycling's tough to, you know, for an audience that it's, it's is an used to watching football yeah. American audience sure so mm-hmm. that's why we're so or at least Americans have glommed on to criteriums and cyclocross is because it's a yeah. more of a you're a friendly sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, and spectator friendly. If you go there yourself, isn't it? Like, like yeah. you know, if you, you're you're watching a crit, you're watching some serious action come through every what, ten, fifteen minutes, five, you know, it, it's or, or less. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you know, you can go and get a cup. Of, you're you're in a town, so you can go and get a you can go and get a beer, or you can go get a coffee while you're waiting for them to come through. Um, turning. My my favourite race, Turingen, oh amazing, gorgeous, wonderful Turingen Rundfahrt. They had every every stage starts and finishes in the same town and goes through at least once. You know, so so it's kind of like you get a load of people out to watch the race and they're there for the whole you know, they're there for the whole day, they're seeing the town, you've got entertainment. And it just makes it 
it's just you can see why they do it but you know I've, I've been to a tour of Britain stage where you know you drive for an hour and a half then you stand by the side of the road then they go past you and you're like <laughs> what are we doing yeah well but I, I do think this is one of the really interesting things about um you know cycling in general is that it is a sport that places such a premium and such a value on its its history and you know it's got a great and long and storied history full of villains and heroes and and whatnot but i think it's also failed uh to adapt to the the medium or, or mediums of media i guess of of today in that you know a lot of these you know big races particularly when we're talking in terms of length you know were established back when it was it was post-race print, you know, it would, the, the race would happen, and no one cared that it was a 200-kilometer long stage, because they weren't trying to watch the whole 200Ks, they were just reading the race report in the newspaper the next day, uh, so there's no, there's no perception of four hours of boring tempo, um, whereas now we, we live in a broadcast world, and uh, a streaming world, and people expect to, to, see live action and so races that that are struggling to or failing to deliver that are going to struggle to compete in the modern media landscape and that's a good point dan and i don't want to get all american on you but um at least for broadcasting purposes i think it's important for people that may not understand cycling to have a hero and so in that respect I think more features on personal, you know, stories about women cyclists is necessary to mm. keep people interested. I mean, they, yeah. they have someone to root for. And yeah. there are plenty of stories within women's cycling that I think is, you know, that, that total, totally makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. And it's a little factoids. I mean, because I, when I first started writing about stuff on forums, that was my kind of, well, that was my starting point, was kind of find some little random hook so someone who'd never watched the race and i do this on um i do it around worlds on twitter you know tell me tell me what kind of cyclists you like or something what you like and i'll find you one you know and then you kind of little hooks about you know abby stevens left wall street um emma pooney's doing a phd she's um, just finished her phd actually yeah yeah yeah, um, you know, but but all of those kind of little crazy, little you know, little crazy mm. ones. Tiffany Crum was a fashion designer in her spare time. Um, oh, that was great, Sarah. That was that was awesome when you did that on Twitter. I, I liked that a lot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and it's just, but those kind of those kind of little personalities. You know, these are people I know. These are people I'd like. You know, okay. Well, Ellen Van Dyke started as a speed skater and and realized that she was faster on the bike you know they're kind of there's all these little things and, and then you know who they are where they live what they like doing you know valentina scandalara who's joining orica you know she's much she's an interesting rider but she's also much more interesting for her twitter presence and the fact that she's a massive rabid fangirl who really loves the sport and is like you know really really super excited at other people's performance and just loves attacking is you know that's that's yeah that's, just that's really loves attacking <laughs> and you know then it says that she gets told off for attacking too much and that she really needs yeah. to learn how to not to attack all the time just every, only when it counts <laughs> every time she attacks i flash back to um remember in overcoming the csc documentary the the scene when jens voigt goes on the attack 
and you just hear it coming over the radio. I'm feeling good. I'm going to go for the break. <laughs> and he rides off, and and Bjarne just turns and looks at the camera. It's just like, hmm. <laughs> I get. I think of that every time Valet attacks. I'm just like, that. You can't hold that back. It's just <laughs> awesome. He's like the uh, female version of Jens. Jens. Yeah. Yeah, but kind of, kind of love it. Yeah, and that's. Oh, this is my other question. What do you have an Ina Teutenberg story? Me? Yes. <laughs> um. Okay, I, I can tell you this one. Um, I so I covered Extra G Tour with Tour Tracker. Yeah. And the owner of Tour Tracker, his name's Alan. Um, he's a great guy. We were at the gala, and he thought that he was going to go around and ask random <laughs> um, cyclists who the funniest person on their team was. And so, and I was, I was totally intimidated because I've raced with Ina before and, you know, she's, she was like, I've never talked to her before, but totally scared. Like, I like, no, Alan, don't go up to Ina and ask her who the funniest person was. Don't do it. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. She'll kill you with her stare. (laughs) And so, and so I hid, he walks up to her and he's like, Ina, who's the funniest person on your team? And she's like. Well, I guess that would be me. <laughs> and so I'm hiding behind the table, and he's like, "Why are you so funny?" <laughs> and I don't know. This this story is probably going to let you down a lot, but you know, she's. I think she said, if I remember correctly, because everyone laughs at what I say. <laughs> because otherwise, I kill them with my stare. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that, that's my story. I I, I, think I remember that correctly. If anyone's listening that remembered it differently, I'm sorry. But no, no, that's the truth. Now it's been recorded for posterity. This is what will be dug up by future civilizations. Yes. Cool. I think on that note, um, unless you have any more pressing questions for us, Clara, I think we should um, thank you for being so generous with your time and. Uh, and bid you a fond farewell. Well, well thanks for having me. I appreciate talking, or appreciate you having me on the podcast. Thanks for talking with me, and it was a lot of fun. Awesome. <laughs> thank well, you. Well, thank, thank you, and thank thanks you. for... Come again. Thanks for keeping us in touch with Tour Tracker and, um, and with everything else. We look forward to what you've got coming in 2014 as well. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, just be nice to us. We did the best we can. <laughs> And edit, edit, edit the fuck out of Wikipedia. Right? <laughs> just me rubbing my hands with glee. <laughs> I'm gonna be so paranoid about Wikipedia. Now. I'm like, is this true? Good. Good. Awesome. All right. Well, on that note, thanks and bye. Bye. <laughs>